I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, February 1st. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Democratic delegation from Hines County pushes back against a bill that would create a special judicial jurisdiction within the capital city complex. Then a number of education bills made it out of committee on deadline day while others failed to advance. We examine what's still active this session, plus a look at how hip hop changed the world. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Democratic lawmakers who represent Jackson and Hines County are pushing back against a bill that would put part of Mississippi's capital city under special state court jurisdiction. A total of 14 Democrats, nine representatives and five senators signed a letter yesterday denouncing House Bill 1020. The measure would create a new jurisdiction within parts of downtown Jackson and Ridgeland that would be overseen by judges appointed by the state Supreme Court. Representative Sakia Summers of Jackson tells our Kobe Vance why the delegation is fighting the bill. On its face, 1020 is unconstitutional. I mean, the bill would allow the chief justice to appoint judges and the AG to appoint prosecutors, which goes against the ability of individuals that live in that area to be able to elect those individuals. So it's unconstitutional on its face. There's also a a line in there that would extend the CCID to the city of Ridgeland and would say that any taxes that were initially diverted to the city of Jackson would be pointed only to CCID. And so that is inequitable, um, and it takes away a person's ability to have someone that represents them that they selected, not the other way around. The other thing about this bill is that it really would set a precedent for the state to come into other communities and to be able to do the same thing. And so we're fighting against this bill. We're asking the community to stand with us, organizations to stand with us, and also our colleagues in the House to vote against this bill um, should it come up on uh, the floor. call it unconstitutional. If this were to pass, it would create a system where that would have to be challenged in a state court as opposed to the Hines County Court where it currently would be challenged. How do you think that could change the dynamics of challenging state laws that 
people might feel are unconstitutional or just uh, go against people's rights? Well, it would change everything. I mean, it would create something that we've never seen before because right now those cases come to the Hines County Court. I'll give you an example. There was a bill that we passed last year that allowed for public funds to be sent to private schools and it was sent to a Hines County Court uh, and the judge overturned that and said that that was unconstitutional. So we're talking about those kinds of laws that we find are you know, unjustified, are inequitable, are not um, uh, doled out fairly to the people that they're supposed to represent that will be going to a selected judge by the chief justice, uh, go to a selected prosecutor by the AG. Um, and so, you know, that's not something, that's not a precedent that we should be putting in place here in the state of Mississippi. Um, and then furthermore, you know, we're using this whole argument or this, this uh, framework that there's People are unsafe. This is in the name of public safety. This is about crime. Well, if we're going to carve out this part of the city of Jackson, what about everybody else that live in the city of Jackson? Are you saying that those folks don't deserve to feel safe? Those folks don't deserve to have um, equal representation or increased uh, revenue to help with their infrastructure or law enforcement, et cetera? So, you know, it. It, the state can't have it both ways. You can't just carve out a section of the city of Jackson and say, we're going to treat you differently, give you special privileges that we're not going to provide for everybody else. Is there anything else you'd like to share with Mississippians about how this could not maybe just not defect Jacksonians, but people across the state? Well, first of all, the state needs to take care of the state's business. We are dealing with a health care crisis in the state of Mississippi. We're dealing with a TANF scandal in the state of Mississippi. We're dealing with a mass incarceration crisis in the state of Mississippi. We have the highest child poverty rate in the country. We're leading the world in mass incarceration. So the state needs to take care of its business before it comes in to say that it's going to take care of the city's business. But should this continue further, who's going to be next? Which community is going to be next? Where are we going to see the state come in and say, you know what, we don't like the way that you all are doing business, so we're going to take this part away from you and be able to run it. The state has not shown itself to be able to run those systems that I just mentioned effectively and efficiently yet. So this this bill is going to cause chaos, it's going to cause confusion, um, and it's just something that we don't need to do here in the state of Mississippi. That's Representative Zakia Summers with our Kobe Vance. Senator Sally Norwood of Jackson says the bill would take the rights away from Jacksonians who, like every other part of the state, elect their local judges. It would be devastating for Jackson Hines County. Plus, it's a bad precedent that we're setting to um, take over your know, jurisdictions. Um, I mean, I think that rather than supporting the jurisdiction to become uh, better than it is, you know, this legislation virtually would take over, and it's, it's not good public policy. What do you think it could mean to take the power from the elected judges to the state-appointed judges in this area? Well, it, I mean, it's, you know, that's not justice. That's not justice. I mean, justice is, I mean, we have elected judges that are charged with carrying out uh, the law, uh, and if they're not uh, doing that, you know, there are consequences, but then to, to just uh, appoint those individuals, then you, you don't want the judges to be adhered to, uh, to, the, uh, to the appointing organization or the appointing body. 
So I think that that's not good, again, public policy. Do you think this would affect all Mississippians, not just the people here in the Hans County area, Jackson area? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it would, it, because, you know, who knows what is uh, 1020 today, who knows what it would be tomorrow. Who knows what laws would be enacted that, you know, citizens want to challenge uh, uh, and that, you know, would feel threatened by this law because, you know, the, being challenged here in the city, now you're going outside of the city of the county. Uh, and, and it's basically steering or driving uh, 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 challenges to an area that you feel more comfortable with rather than uh, uh, driving it to the jurisdiction that's a, and holding that jurisdiction accountable and responsible. HB 1020 would also expand the jurisdiction of the Capitol Police Force, which has already been expanded several times in recent years. Coming up, a number of education bills made it out of committee on deadline day, while others failed to advance. We examine what's still active this session. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein for Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi legislature has reached another major deadline. Yesterday was the last day for general bills and amendments to be advanced out of committees. The education committees in both chambers considered a number of measures. In the Senate, a bill that would allow employees with enhanced carry permits to carry weapons on campus cleared the Senate, as well as one that would create a grant program for school districts that adopt a modified school calendar. The House passed 20 of the 21 bills on its agenda, including one that establishes a patriotic education grant program. Watching in the committee rooms was Nancy Loom, the executive director of the Parents' Campaign. She breaks down what she observed on deadline day with our Lacey Alexander. I'm very pleased that they passed a bill that would allow MAEP funds to be distributed based on average daily membership, which will help districts that have really had problem with absenteeism caused by a flu outbreak. So that will help school districts a lot. Um, very pleased to see some other bills die today that didn't make it out, that we're very pleased about. Um, so, so far, so good on what's coming out of, out of committee. What are some of those dead bills that you're happy to see go? Very pleased that um, House Bill 1489 and House Bill 509 were basically the same bill that died. These were the bureaucratic overreach bills that would have required massive amounts of paperwork, um, from teachers and and removed all flexibility from classroom instruction it was tremendous bureaucratic overreach 
um, and also subjected teachers to lawsuits if they weren't able to comply with the ridiculous requirements of the law. So we were very happy to see that one go by the wayside. There were a few bills brought to the table with patriotic education, patriotic, that word brought up a lot, and there was some conflict at the table, um, talking about how this could lead to more discussions and more issues with CRT. Why do you think we're still having those conversations right now? Well, that's a good question. Our public schools are doing a great job of of teaching history, and um, so we don't need laws that require them to do that. We have state standards that uh, lay out very, very clearly what our expectations are in terms of what teachers are supposed to teach and students need to be learning. So we need to be sticking with those standards. These these other things are just frivolous. I don't know if they are to cater to a certain group of special interests that's pushing a certain bill, but that's not how we need to approach education standards. Are there any bills that passed or any bills that are moving on that you're really keeping an eye on that you're a little concerned about? Um, there was a bill that passed out of committee just now that I want to go back and take a look at. Um, it uh, has to do with religious and moral instruction. The original version of that bill would have required schools to allow parents to take their children out of school for an hour for any kind of religious instruction, but it also required that schools not teach during that hour so that those students wouldn't get behind. So that would reduce... Um, instruction by an hour a week every week in our public schools which is just really silly um, so I hope that that is is not the case that perhaps there's been some a committee sub or some language change I'm going to go back and take a look at that if so maybe we can get rid of that one on the floor one more thing um, I saw when they passed the law that would um, have school boards pay consequences basically if they took money away from teacher assistance I saw you kind of nodding in the room there in agreement. What was your reaction to that? Our, our teacher assistants definitely deserve that $2,000 raise. Um, they still will only be making, at a, a minimum salary, $17,000 a year. Some t- school districts pay them more than that. But $17,000 a year for a teacher assistant is just not enough. And so you need to make sure that all that money is getting to those teacher assistants. They, they are important, and they deserve that, that salary. Nancy, thank you. Also at the Capitol yesterday was Kelly Riley, the executive director of Mississippi Professional Educators. She says she had her eye on a bill, and she's glad to see it died in committee. The exemption from school-required vaccinations was a concern to us, especially as it relates to the public health and safety of our teachers and students, particularly those younger um, teachers who may be thinking about starting a family, our younger teachers who are pregnant, and of course their health is of utmost concern to them. And so we were very relieved to see Senate education kill that bill this morning and then um, very appreciative of the fact that the House is not going to drag its members through that debate since the issue is dead in the Senate. We appreciate Chairman Bennett for going ahead and just saying that the House Education Committee was not going to take up that bill. Gotcha. And as we move forward with our lawmakers, what do you hope to see from the legislative session? Well, I think there are several um, important issues. One that we are watching closely is, of course, the the school guardian bills that would allow a local school district to decide to have armed employees. Um, One 
safeguard, I guess, in that bill would be that it does not, you know, it doesn't arm classroom teachers. We do not support the arming of classroom teachers. But right now, current state law gives a local school district the discretion to set its own policy. Um, as to who may or may not carry weapons on campus. So um, that's a bill that, that we are closely watching. And then we will also be closely watching um, the, the grant bill that's out there for modified school calendar. Um, for, we have a lot of districts throughout the state that are transitioning to that, and those will be available resources to support those districts in their transition. But again, going back to today's House Education Committee meeting, we are very excited um, to see average daily membership on the table rather than ADA because that is something that we have supported for a number of years and that districts throughout the state support. Kelly Riley, the executive director of Mississippi Professional Educators. Coming up, a look at how hip-hop has changed the world. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi Public Broadcasting and WJSU are hosting a special screening of the new PBS documentary, Fight the Power, How Hip-Hop Changed the World. It's tonight at Jackson State University. The event will feature a panel discussion with the series director, Yimi Bamiro, who will make a virtual appearance from London. Bamiro cut up with our Michael Guidry ahead of tonight's event to talk about how a kid from London grew to love hip-hop enough to want to tell its story. What we wanted to do with this documentary series was kind of really explore the birth of this uh, music form, but through the lens of politics, through the lens of uh, social, um, s- societal issues through the lens of sort of like economic disparity, all of these things that have kind of like always been the foundation of the music. And, and I guess that's, you know, that was basically where we all started with this. The conversations that I had with Chuck and the conversations that I had with Laurie, what we, you know, it was all about, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel because this subject matter has been um, well well trodden and well covered but I think Chuck and all of the production team you know we were fans first and we wanted to find a, a sophisticated way of exploring this subject and you know just offering an insight and and offering a sort of you know a perspective that perhaps hadn't been covered before and and perhaps is lost in everything that we deem hip-hop to be today so yeah that's basically the short version <laughs> Oh, fascinating. And um, and it, it is, it's Fight the Power, How Hip-Hop Changed the World. What does this docuseries, this four-part series, uh, what does it explore when it comes to, um, to, 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 to answering that question? How did hip-hop change the world? Well, I, I think it looks at the fact that hip-hop has always been a force for protest. It's always been a force for resistance. It's always been a voice for sort of like the voiceless and marginalized communities. And I think 
you know, we look at hip hop today, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but, you know, we're looking back and, and we're looking at the foundation. So I, I think if you look at where the music now, the genre is now, you know, arguably the, the most popular music genre, genre on a global scale, I think you can see how it changed the world. But I think it was important for us to sort of like trace that back to the root and the foundation and sort of like, you know, its inception and, and to see how everything we have now and, uh, you know, how, how impressive and how shiny it all is, but where that came from. Um, so, yeah, that, that's pretty much was the objective for us. And I think through that lens and through, through that sort of like opinion, you can see how it changed the world, you know. What is it about hip hop um, that reaches someone like you across the Atlantic Ocean into other places that that makes it accessible and resonate with people all over the world? It's it's a really good question. I think I I just remember I remember being like maybe fourteen or fifteen and 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 listening to 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 PE and then listening to Nas. I think Nas was the rapper that really sort of just kind of like you know that captured my imagination like Nas didn't want me I I listened to Nas and I didn't want to be a rapper I wanted to be a writer I couldn't really understand how this guy from Queensbridge New York was so you know intricate with the way that he articulated his experience on the other side of the Atlantic and that just spoke to me and lots of people like me in a way that you know not a lot of music was doing at the time so I, I kind of feel that you know, struggle and sort of like disparity and, you know, adversity, all of those themes are sort of like universal. It doesn't really matter who's saying them. It doesn't matter where you are in the world from a sort of like uh, a geography perspective. If you hear that in music, if you hear that in art, then it's going to speak to you in some sort of way. So I guess, yeah, that, it, you know, that's that's why I'm here. Like the, the, those artists really spoke to me and sort of like captured uh, my imagination. As, as a as a child of the 90s, I came up in the 90s um, as a child of the 90s. Uh, the, that, that I believe it's the third episode really kind of catches my attention. Protest in itself is resistance, but protest oftentimes is also met with resistance. So, um, what what is what is it about that period of the '90s where hip hop really becomes prominent, while at the same time meeting this resistance? What does that resistance to hip hop do to change or progress hip hop? Yeah, well, I I, got, I kind of feel that the '90s is a sweet spot because, yeah, like you, I sort of came of age in the '90s. And I guess that's when the genre had its like its its mass market breakthrough. I think the black experience was in in laser focus during the nineties because of a number of characters, and and uh, yeah, I just feel that you know the the nineties and and sort of like its intersection sort of like with hip hop was it's almost like growing pains. Do you know what I mean? The genre wasn't very old in the nineties. Do you know what I mean? Um, and and I, and I feel it was still trying to find its feet, but it was getting bigger and bigger. And I think whenever when any when anything sort of like grows exponentially, there's going to be sort of like these growing pains and these sort of like these kind of like niggles and these issues because it doesn't really know what it is yet. Do you know what I mean? And I think the resistance came from you know people that were unaware of what this thing were and perhaps were scared, intimidated by it. You know. 
you know, that hip hop was never meant to do that. It was meant to be a fad, right? So I think it's growing pains and it was sort of like fear of the unknown, you know, you know, it's just like like Chuck and, and PE, fear of a black planet. And and I, I feel that perfectly kind of like encompasses and encapsulates what the 90s represented in relation to the genre and, and where it was going. How have you seen places in communities like London who, oh, you know, places like oh, over the last 25 years have 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 seen more migration, more diversity of population. Um, and, and and obviously with the expanse of like the Internet and our digital connectivity, um, access to things like hip hop. How have you seen communities like the one you live in most of most of the time in London take hip hop and put its own unique spin on it um, to make it to make it theirs and, and make it reflect the, the, the community you're in? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. So I think what we've done is basically, if you look at Grime, for example, you know, Grime was born out of, you know, council estates, council estates in East London, and and no different to sort of, you know, projects in, in the Bronx or across New York. And, you know, it was just young, marginalised people of colour talking about, you know, their struggle. Um, and, and I guess it's just we we interpreted hip hop and we gave it our own spin so that's what grime is do you know what i mean it's just a perspective it's just a reinterpretation of stuff that we were listening to you know we couldn't be nas we couldn't be public enemy because they were speaking about specific things that were happening in their community in their city in their state but what we did over here is we were inspired by that to sort of like take a version of that and sort of you know flip it and apply it to our own sort of like sensibility and our own sort of like experiences. And, and, and that's, you know, that, that is a form of the, the legacy of, of hip hop. Do you know what I mean? It's this idea that it continues to reinvent itself in some form, you know? Thank you, Yimmy. Uh, the docu-series is fight the power, how hip hop changed the world. We appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. Pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Right. Tonight's event is free. Seating is limited. Registration available at mpbonline.org. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.